Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics with the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters and everyone in between. Ben, it's normally we talk about the weather at this point, but there's been so much UFO stuff that we're going to have to skip our weather update. It's like the real version of Shark Week on Discovery, (laughs) if Discovery was the planet and sharks were aliens. There was uh, there was the whistleblower, wasn't there? The yeah. uh, Dave, what's his name? David Charles Grouch, I yes. think if that's how you say it. Um, there's been a lot of coverage of that. I don't think we should go into that today. Maybe we'll come back to it another time because, I mean, there's so much to go into. We could probably do a whole episode and it has been covered quite a lot. It has been covered quite a lot. Even on mainstream media, there was, um, if you go to YouTube and look for The Hill which is the American political website and news channel. Yeah. They did a big thing about it last night. There's there's stuff on the on the YouTube channel, but um 12 the in and out of it is 12 spacecraft, potentially a body. Um it's all getting quite real. Yeah, that reminded me of it's part Roswelly and part Bob Lazari, isn't it? That the the way that story pans out. But like I said, we won't go into it too much there's another one that's floating around which is really interesting again i don't think we've got time to go into it today but we may come back to it this is a an ex-marine who talks about this incredible ufo incident in 2009 in indonesia which involves a hexagon craft and weapons and u.s military being threatened by this thing really really interesting story we're not going to go into it today but we may come back the one that i've been obsessed with this week is this uh ufo possibly alien encounter in las vegas yeah and it's really recent as well april 30th i think yeah yeah it's amazing i mean again it's been across the news but if you haven't heard about it i'll just give you a quick summary so it starts with it's in a kind of suburban area of Las Vegas, as far as I can work out. Yeah, it's about I think it's about eighty miles away from Area Fifty One. There's uh, a, a police officer captures on his body cam a kind of flashing light object crashing. Looks like uh, I think it's about eighty minutes later they get a call from a family who basically say there's a couple of aliens in their back. Yard. I've got a little summary of some of the audio. So what you're going to hear is a mixture of the 911 call from the person who has all these aliens in their back garden and uh, some of the audio from the police's body cam. Have a listen to this. There's like an eight-foot person beside it and another one's inside and it has big eyes and looking at us and it's still there. Okay, where is this on your property? Uh, in my backyard. I swear to God, this is not a joke. This is actually we. So there's two, terrified with. So there's two people or two subjects that are in your backyard. Correct, and they're very large. They're okay. like eight foot, nine feet, ten foot. I don't know. They're, they look like they look like aliens to us. Big eyes. They have big eyes. Okay. Like like I can't explain it. And big mouth. They're shiny eyes and and they're not human. They're hundred percent they're not human. Okay. You'll see the officers also saw something in the sky that night, but the big question is, what was it, and is it all connected? I have butterflies, bro. Uh, Evelyn saw a shooting star, then these people say there's aliens in their backyard. What'd you see? It was like a 
was like a big creature. A big creature? Yeah, like a long testy top. I'm not going to BS you guys. One of my partners said they saw something fall out of the sky too, so that's yes. why I'm kind of curious. Did you see anything land in your backyard? Or? They see like a big, that's what they say. They see like a big, uh, like a big something with light. Sound like a really dumb question, but did you guys see anything fall out of the sky? Uh, I would normally discount it as nothing, however, um, seeing as one of my partners said they saw it too, only reason I'm actually investigating it further. Amazing, right? That really interesting. He does not sound like he's making it up. The caller does not sound like he's making it up. Well, I've been thinking about this a lot. I kind of, I think there's a number of factors here. You, the image of the whatever it was, the flashing light that seems to be crashing, was captured on police body cam. Yeah. The 911 call sounds pretty genuine to me and don't think... And, and I saw some interview with the family talking to the police when the police turned up at their house. They didn't come across as, you know, intoxicated, making it up, pranking it. They were kind of genuinely freaked out by the whole thing. And even the police were like, I'm taking this seriously because one of my fellow officers saw something. So I think it's an amazing story. I've been thinking about if you if you discount the idea that the family are making it up, which I, from what I see, I, I, I don't think they are, then you're left with, okay, what could be going on here? Yes, it could be alien visitation. The only other things I thought about were some kind of elaborate hoax, um, but it's quite a clever one. It's also, though, if it was a hoax, it's a felony. Yeah, yeah so there's that side of it. And they, if the police thought that, they would probably have arrested them. Yeah, uh, the, other, the only other one I could think about, bear with me on this, this is a bit out there, I started thinking about, you've probably seen them, you know those videos where they've got those robots that look like animals that can do all kinds of stuff? Yes, yes. And they've got a military contact, and you're kind of thinking, hold on a second, if this is what they're showing us, what actually have they got? So I started thinking, could this be some secret military craft that is kind of powered some way by these robotic things? If you were going to go all conspiracy... If I were the government, I might want to create these robots to look a bit alien-like to cause a bit of confusion if anything did happen on the crash. Oh, right, yeah. So they're sort of um, mechanised soldiers, you mean? Yeah, yeah, Ah, made to look. Because, you know, in his description, he says they're between 8 and 10 foot tall. And naked. Yeah. It's really, really bizarre, that story, isn't it? It's very bizarre. It's very bizarre. And there is also, like, in the footage... There is part of it is blacked out because it's on private property. Yeah. But I have seen reports that there was a circular indentation in right. in the in the grass. Because that does, I mean, it immediately jumps to mind, doesn't it? Of all, oh, why are they not showing us that footage? And then I started thinking, well, if it's kind of a policy not to do it, you could see how it happened. It'll be interesting to see if that body cam footage comes out later because I would imagine the way that the family were talking I don't think they particularly object is my guess no 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 I don't think so the the people that raised the alarm they are teenagers but like you say I don't think it's a prank it sounds like in their voice they saw something and I don't know. It's one of those, let's wait and see what comes out of it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I did think, you know, because it is Las Vegas area, it's, yeah, it's it, because it is not in, like, the middle of the desert, 
that is seen this what the footage i saw of it and i saw some drone shots of the area it's quite it's quite a busy residential part of las vegas it did make me think ben i'm i'm all up for full disclosure by the government on this sort of thing but i do hope that the pentagon just issues a statement saying whatever happens in vegas stays in vegas (laughs) (laughs) well but you you raise a really good point like with all of this stuff happening i'm beginning to think like ufos are fun until they're real right yeah 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 quite scary especially when you uh, uh, not that one but the other two the kind of heavy involvement of military and engagement with military you know when i mean we talked about it a little bit last week with the underwater ufos yeah the the implications are big aren't they they are big and I really strange that I don't know what to make of it because I still think we're at that point where if you speak, you know that old phrase, the man on the Clapham omnibus. Yeah. They won't have taken this news in. They will think it's just summer headlines, um, you know, silly season. Yeah. I certainly know that, like, my parents would think that. And I wonder what it will take for people... The average person walking down the street who has no interest in ghosts or paranormal or anything to prick up their ears and go, maybe there is something. Yeah, I th- the other thing that really interested me about this story was their description of these uh, quote-unquote alien creatures. I mean, they sounded typical in terms of the big kind of eyes that they talked about but they talked about it having a big mouth which again you don't think of that in a typical kind of grey alien style and grey aliens are supposed to be little small little things these things are like 10 foot tall which is yeah it's it's different to it's kind of the cliche of an alien but it's not Uh, many species um like you say maybe a mechanized you know there are there are some really big conspiracy theories like this is the beginning of a false flag operation you know otherwise right. known as operation blue beam right where supposedly the residents of earth are convinced that there is a war with an alien race right kicking off for you know to fuel whatever agenda well it it's interesting because you never know whether one story feeds off the other but it it is weird that there's been these three quite major stories and reported in major news outlets, not just the UFO community. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still think one of the major implications from this is if it is all true, if it is real, people are not going to appreciate having been lied to. Yeah, yeah. And also, (laughs) I saw this morning, um, it came up on my news feed, SETI are trying out a new algorithm to listen to radio signals. That's great, but um, if... (laughs) They're already here. If we got 12 of their ships, presumably we could just nick one of their stereos. I mean, that, that it seems like that would be a very futile (laughs) task. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, otherwise there's a lot of money going into something that is just a kind of diversion rather than, you know, a help. Well, it turns out that the news is the best segue into what I wanted to talk about this week anyway, because this case, well, is the Charlie Red Star event. Okay, yeah, cool. And this 
event appears to be has a lot of similarities with a number of the things that we have just been talking about there, specifically that Las Vegas case. Right. I had heard about it, but it wasn't until I really delved into it that I really appreciated sort of where it had, you know, how important it was. Right. And the reason I got into it was because I was reading some speculation that Spielberg used this story as part of um, when he was doing script development for Close Encounters. Uh This fed into it, and you will see why. If you aren't familiar with the case, it happens over Canada, uh, a province of Canada uh, called Alberta in the 1970s. And... um, That seems like quite a long way back in time, but what it does do is it means that there's quite a lot of good um, eyewitnesses that are being collated, and probably the best one is I found this book. uh, It's called Charlie Redstar by an author called Grant Cameron, and he was a first-hand witness to this, and he has delved very, very deeply into the witness accounts and some of the very, uh, well, I'm going to call it high strangeness that happened around the events okay so let me just set the scene for you before we go into um some of the exact bits so in may 1975 the media had been reporting since march that sightings have been made in carmen which is a town in that region every night and the author says so this is this is grant he said i realized there was a chance I might see the UFO making such a stir as reported in the local newspapers. And he said, you know, it's a rare opportunity. He likens it to seeing Elvis play live. And um, so he's just, he's young and like probably most of us, he suggests to his friends that instead of going out onto the streets and, you know, going drinking or whatever, they head to Carmen and see what's going on. So that is what they do. Three of them get in a car and it turns out they are joined by hundreds of other people who are crowding the roads around Carmen waiting for a flyby of the UFO the residents called Charlie Redstar. Now, does that not sound similar to the beginning yeah. of Close Encounters? It does, yeah. The, yeah, that kind of almost... I mean, Spielberg makes it more of a... No, at the start, it's not so much an obsession. It's almost an excitement, is it's it? It's an excitement. In, that sounds very similar, yeah. Yeah. And he says, you know, growing up, he had um, a fascination with ufos but he had the impression that ufo sightings were sort of random and occurred to people who weren't planning on seeing them and he points out that prominent researchers in the ufo community had clearly stated that one couldn't isolate the ufo phenomena you couldn't say oh it's going to happen at eight o'clock that night you can't buy tickets you can't buy tickets (laughs) Charlie Which you, can, you could have for Elvis in Vegas. Done that, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. And he says, you know, this is something we often talk about. You can't study UFOs in a laboratory. They're supposedly random events. Except the Charlie Red Star event is much more predictable. Right. So this excitement had grown up in Carmen over the months of April, May and June 1975. And he, he says that even people, you know, as strange as it might seem, People were abandoning their their television sets and parking their cars in numerous quantities outside roads on the town with the hope of seeing something. That is very close encounters, isn't it? Yeah, really. So um, they are just wandering around in their vehicle and they find out that loads of people are congregating around this local airport, which is known as Friendship Field. And this becomes important so they they park the car at friendship field 
and you've got um, to love Canada, haven't you? Like we, you know, for an airport <laughs> name, I know we'll call it Friendship Field. That's so lovely. <laughs> it is rather nice, isn't <laughs> That's it? Sweet. But the owner of Friendship Field make, makes um, an important, um, well, he plays an important part in the story. But so does Doug Wheeler, who, who is Grant's friend, and he says, um, when they um, uh, when they park up, his friend says, "Look, if we don't see anything." We'll go home, and otherwise, it's just going to seem like a waste of time. They're really skeptical, and they're beginning to give up hope. About a mile from Carmen, as they're beginning to wander their way back home, everybody sees it, and the excitement is palpable. Not only are they screaming to each other, there it is, but there are people again in the middle of the night on the side of the road, yeah. pointing up at the sky, and they can all see it. And there is this red light bobbing along they only see it for a fraction of a minute but they can see this light and everybody else sees it and this is what begins his obsession he returns two nights later and on the first night of those two nights going back to friendship field he bumps into this guy anthony Britton, and anthony Britton is um he's the owner of the airfield but he also becomes like the local guide because so many of the sightings happen around his airport people turn to him to ask him where and when they can see it so he becomes he's almost like this tourist guide right and so but he attracts attention from much further uh afar than that but we'll we'll come back to that in a minute the um yeah because my my cynical brain is jumping into gear when you're saying that interestingly well i can understand why the first proper sighting over Friendship Field, he sees a flash as if a camera had gone off. And then moments later, there's a second flash and two of his friends in the car see it and they start getting really excited. And the tr- trouble he says is, unlike what he'd expected to see, the second flash was nowhere near the first. He thinks maybe there's two objects. Right. Then a third and a fourth flash follow each in different parts of the western sky and the flash moves around like this bouncing ball and he he, he, he later describes it as literally a bouncing ping pong ball right. by now because he's outside seven or eight witnesses can see this this object or objects and there's lots of excitement and shouting and everybody knows that this is charlie red star and so this is his first proper encounter these peculiar lights which appear at all different points in the sky but exhibit the same characteristics. So at this point, he's got no idea whether this is one object moving in a kind of really weird random fashion or multiple. No, yeah. no, but, but that is what makes it so enigmatic at yeah. first, this this thing, and this is what causes him, you know, as the author of this book, to want to get out there and understand what other people had seen because this like i say this is nothing like what he'd expected yeah. this isn't a, you know a typical ufo encounter would be there's a light it moves over here it's like one single yeah, yeah. solid object or like a fleet of them not ping 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 yeah. all, all over all over here yeah so he goes on to tell the story and tells of more witnesses which tell similar things but the the reason why i mentioned anthony Britton is because Remember, he's the owner of the airfield. He yep. he starts bringing him more and more into the story because people sort of um, start recording their accounts with him, and he becomes friendly 
with Anthony. And here is one of the pieces of high strangeness which goes with this account. There is a lecture uh, at a local school from a astronaut that happens. This is completely unrelated complete to the coincidence. account. Complete coincidence. And this astronaut uh, is just talking to the children about what it, you know what it's like to be an astronaut. And the the astronaut the astronaut who is only given uh, only mentioned um, by uh, occupation because he doesn't obviously he doesn't want to um, reveal himself as you'll find out for obvious reasons. He says he would like to meet Anthony because he has heard that Anthony likes restoring World War II aircraft, and he is also similarly uh, passionate about them. And so they say, yeah, sure, they take him to go and see Anthony, and. Uh, he takes him aside and tells him something after hearing about the uh, the uh, Charlie Red Star. And when he was writing this book, Grant tells him uh, he tells Grant what he what he told him. He describes he he turns to me and he looked at me and said, "I'm going to tell you something that is top secret. If you repeat it, I will deny ever having said it." And he said, when they were on the moon's surface, an hour. A saucer landed a mile away from them, and he asked Houston if we could motor over and say hello. <laughs> they said no, ignore them, and pretend they're not there, and carry on about your business. He said that all the time they were on the, st- on the surface, they saw no sign of movement, and they were still there when they left. So, wow. this, is, this is the first piece of... Um, so let me, let me just recap here. Mm. <clears throat> You've got this astronaut... Who's obviously landed on the moon, so that kind of narrows down who it could be, who just happens to be doing a talk at the school. He has this off-the-record conversation with the guy who owns the airport or runs the airport. Yep. Right, because he restores planes and then says this UFO thing. The thing that strikes me about the what the astronaut said is... NASA Houston saying yeah just ignore them pretend they're not there because that makes you think if it would be the first time you would encounter something like this I'm not sure that would be your reaction wouldn't it it would be go and say hi or get out of there yeah or you know warning signs would be flying off but it I mean the way it reads is almost nonchalantly ah ignore them <laughs> well I suppose, I mean, he's relaying an anecdote, and if you're an astronaut, you're likely to have been a test pilot. Yeah. So you've probably got nerves of steel. Yeah. And if you're saying to Houston, there's this thing over there, can I go over and check it out? Hi, I love that. And Houston aren't going to... You're talking to a man on a on a piece of rock thousands of miles away. Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 you were right. Um, carry on with your mission, please. You don't want to go, no, what are you doing? <laughs> no, but you, I would almost, I don't know, maybe maybe it's me. I'm thinking if one of my astronauts said that to me, uh, I would think there could be something wrong. There could be something wrong with his mix of oxygen. Maybe he's got carbon monoxide poisoning. He should get back to the ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Just saying, oh, it's fine, just carry on doing what you're doing. But he, he might just be shortening up that longer yeah, conversation. Because yeah, if yeah. Houston said to the others, can you see it? And they all go, yeah. 
And of course, they can see their vital signs back on True. back on Earth. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, he but might... even psychological stress. Psychological. Yeah. That's true. That's true. I mean, he, fascinating thing. He might have just been having a laugh. You cannot discount yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he goes to go and look at these World War Two aircraft. He's in town talking to the kids. He hears that there's the UFO flap. Yeah, and this will freak them out. This will freak them out. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, possible. Yeah, it's yeah, possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there is that is just the first piece of high strangeness. But yeah, that is strangeness. I like it. But th- that is how the author gets into it, and you get this idea that this whole town is involved. But let's just talk about Charlie's first visit because everything sort of flows from that. Yeah, and it's at two a.m. on March the twenty seventh in nineteen seventy five, and there's one man up. In a in a place called Graysville, and he's up watching television. And it could have been me last night, to be honest. Well, it's also Graysville, very alien. Oh, yeah, I hadn't <laughs> thought of that. That's where they live. <laughs> and uh, again, this is very Spielberg-esque. He says suddenly he noticed a huge red ball pass by the kitchen window. He jumps up and catches a glimpse of the object moving slowly over his house. When it was out of sight through the window, he raced outside and watched the object slow down and fly south. So the man didn't tell his wife about this or any of his friends. The only person he told was somebody called Lloyd Hebert because he saw the object travel towards the house Lloyd was living in. It had been reported that Lloyd and his wife had seen and heard the object already. Therefore, he figured that he and Lloyd could safely talk about it. He then recounts that it was Lloyd's daughter, Darlene, who saw the object at... um, (laughs) The names are brilliant. At the bourgeois household where the Herberts were staying. Oh, the bourgeois. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Go for for cocktails at the bourgeois. (laughs) I suppose as an American, as a a French influence in Canada, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. She was awakened immediately and noticed that the house was shaking. She also thought the house was on fire. Darlene had been sleeping in the living room of the main floor of the two-storey house and her bed was in front of the window with the drapes were open. When she opened her eyes, she caught a glimpse of the red ball as it moved south past the window. She described it as a loud and fast noise and a steady noise. It was real shrill, pulsating siren-like. That that also, the way you described that, also sounds a bit close encounters, like when the kid gets taken. Wait wait until you hear this bit, because I know the bit you're thinking of. Yeah, yeah, okay. The front living room was red. Yes. And Darlene figured that whatever it was had set fire to the house. Right. So that is exactly what happens, isn't it? And the shaking. And the shaking, yes. I'm... You can't help but read these accounts and think yeah. Spielberg yeah. had looked at this. Yeah. Um, and while she... So she says she she called up to her mother and while she waited, she glanced out of the window and saw the huge red object sit itself down on the pasture. So um, this, this is kind of... This is the first time that Charlie Redstar is reported. It's the first time... That we get that it's got this siren. Uh, some people call it a siren. Some people call it a screeching noise. It's definitely red. Yeah. And sometimes it sets itself down. But is that encounter that you just talked about with the the house on fire type thing? Is that do you know? Is that location near the airport as well, or is that? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. It, it's in a very small section of the right. county. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So when you look at the like. 
the author does give loads and loads of other accounts but they're all just sort of first person but the key things to pull out from it are that charlie is always reported at below a thousand feet it's always reported moving slowly at 10 to 60 miles an hour and the length and rash and rash of ufo flybys took part uh, took place over many months so this isn't like it's a one night thing yeah was there any estimation of size or i guess because it's so bright it may be difficult well to this think. is this is this is very much the thing no people come up with different sizes for it right and it so, does sometimes move in peculiar ways like the first time he sees it it's going like a ping pong ball it does seem that sometimes it plays these almost tricks on people but most of the time it is steady now here's a very interesting thing uh in uh 1976 the carmen collegiate uh which is a local obviously educational body they decide to conduct a poll and um it says how many of you believe that you have seen something in the past two years that be could, could be considered a ufo in response, 52.9% indicated they had. August 1974 polls, on the other hand, reported that just 11% of Americans thought that they would could see right. something that they would report as UFO. Right. So, I've just got to get it out of my head because as soon as you said Carmen Collegiate, I've just had Carmen, 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 Carmen Collegiate. Oh, the name's Collegiate, Carmen Collegiate. <laughs> so I've got that out of my head now, so it's good. You can carry on. <laughs> So we've now we now understand what some people are seeing and the fact that lots of people are seeing it. But it isn't just sightings. And here is another aspect of uh, the high strangeness. And it is the most controversial part of the whole flap, right. as, as the author points out. And this is the disappearance of 32 registered horses from the herd oh. owned by a man called Joseph McCann. Wow. Days after a rash of daylight sightings of the ufo some of them near the pasture where his horses were located he reports uh this guy joseph reports that um he has lost 32 head of cattle the loss was reported to um it's a government uh, agricultural body the rcmp yeah. and they investigated whether the horses had been stolen the report comes up negative and the reason why it's important that he points out they're registered horses is because you can't lie about it you th there is no doubt it's like it's like um you can't lie about owning a car because it's a registered right. registered to you so these horses are registered to him and that's a lot to kind of you know, the other thing going through my mind was it's some kind of scam, but that's a lot of horses. And I've not heard of horses being taken or mutilated. It's always cows, isn't it? But Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I misread my notes there. The RCMP is, of course, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And when they were investigating this as a, a possible criminal uh, endeavour, they found no broken fences uh, or, in fact, evidence of tyre tracks or anything around the McCann's house. Wow. Now, he, this, this is important because he goes on to say that rumours spread around the towns surrounding the McCann's farm about what had actually happened to the horses, but none of them stood up. One account suggested that Joseph had sold the animals and was right. trying to Some collect the insurance, yeah. but that story didn't stack up because um, 
that there was nobody, you, you know, you would have to have a transfer of ownership, as I say, because they are registered. Another person said he had tried to kill them and claim the insurance. Again, there's no corpses, yeah. uh, which you have to have to qualify for insurance. Yeah. Joseph never did file a claim at all for, oh, the, wow. for the missing horses. Wow. The other explanation was uh, the possibility that Joseph never had the horses to begin with. But again, the horses existed on his papers for a number of years. So why so, would he register it? Why would he bring it up? Absolutely. Yeah. So this is during the flap, um, and out of his 200-and-something horses, he loses 32. And there's no good explanation for it. I wish he'd done the insurance claim. That would have been a hell of a claim to read, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. After seeing the bright red light and the UFO. Wow. I know this is a bit of a reach, but if you've ever watched the extended version of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, when the spaceship has the door open, you remember the first thing that comes out of the little people and yeah. then the children... And like airline pilots and stuff. Yeah. And then there's animals, and some of them are like. Oh, that's right. They're like huge alien animals, but some of them look like horses. Yes. And some of them look a bit giraffe-like. They I remember. do. Yeah. And there is an ET. There is an ET. Yeah. 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 They put in deliberately. Wow. Yeah, I've forgotten about the animals. As I say, I might be making a reach there, but it did. Yeah. It did make me think. Like yeah. all of this reads like a script to yeah. a film. Yeah. Um. The other piece of high strangeness, and this really goes back to what you were saying about the Las Vegas case. This is um, in the chapter Grant calls The Little Man. It's 1am and a man called Terry is travelling east towards Bagot in a truck with his girlfriend. And he spots a light in a field north of the road he's on. Out of curiosity, he stops the truck on a crossover road and he walks into the field to see what's going on. As he approaches the object, he noticed it was saucer-shaped and uh, it's clearly a craft just sitting in the field. Terry gets to within 100 yards of the object, halts, and is kind of scared to go any closer. And he sees heat waves coming off the object. And again, hears this low hum. The craft is about 12 feet across and 8 feet high. Atop the, the saucer section of the object, Terry saw a dome with something resembling three antennas sticking out. On top of each antenna is a red light. The object glowed yellow and a brilliant white light emanated from its edges. Terry couldn't see any doors or windows. Fearing to get any nearer to the, to the craft, he circled it, looking for something to give him a hint about what the thing was. When he got halfway around the UFO, he suddenly became aware that the craft was now between him and his girlfriend in the truck, so he decided to turn back, taking the same path around the saucer. Terry arrived back at the truck, which was parked 100 feet down a mile road off the main highway. To get back onto the highway, he had to back up. As he turned, his lights naturally swung across the field. In the gleam, someone became visible, striding through the ditch. The little man, as Terry described him, was completely dressed in silver. The little man didn't seem to notice that Terry had spotted him, or at least he didn't seem bothered. He simply ambled along the ditch and back up the other side, heading towards the saucer. Wow. So... Again, there's another bit in that, which is is kind of side point to the whole that whole story, was the truck at the crossroads. That's very start of Close Encounters as well. It's very start of Close Encounters, yeah. yeah. Um, and the upshot of it is Terry's girlfriend freaks out. She sees it as well, does she? She sees it, she freaks out. 
Terry wants to stay and see what happens, but she's having none of it. So he drives her home. It only takes him 10 minutes. He drives her home, comes back. The craft is now hovering above the field. Still there. And he watches it for a few minutes, and then it disappears off um, in in a piece of action that Terry describes as lightning going into the sky. It's funny, we're coming back. That's, that story reminds me of conversations we've had over the last few weeks about steampunk and because it sounds very almost 1950s cartoon version of what an alien craft is, that description, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Saucer with the dome with antenna on the top and the little man in the silver suit. It, it's almost a cliché of probably more 50s and 60s, isn't it? It's reminding me of those 50s sci-fi movies, basically. It's interesting, that. It, it really is. It really is. And again, in this case, um, the police get involved. They and, and what shocks Terry is that he doesn't report it. They come to him. So he discloses everything. They go with him to the field. They find trees knocked down. They find burnt vegetation and they find tiny footprints in the ditch. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. And it's a police record that they did. Oh, wow. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. So, wow. This whole, this whole thing, although it feels like a film, it's an event that the whole town. I mean, there isn't. The, there's only word of mouth. That's why you get these yeah. characters who become the centre of attention because there's no social media yeah. or whatever, and you do get these occasional reports on the local news services but that's not enough to bring everyone together it's this kind of did you see what i saw did you see this mm. have have you seen that it's reminding me a little bit of the mothman prophecies yeah yeah absolutely the mothman sightings it worked in that very similar way didn't it kind of almost random encounters the bit where the husband doesn't tell his wife there's almost two sides to it people who believe there's something going on people who think it's ridiculous and then all these random sightings, some of them together. It's that's very Mothman prophecy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this whole this whole idea of um, high strangeness. When you read around the case, there are many things that happen. People, there, there is, um, and it's not documented by Grant, but there is, for example, an increase in um, paranormal activity that is attributed to like poltergeist, okay, like beings. Um, people talk about having um objects go missing and then reapporting right somewhere um not just like uh the the animals that go missing right people report their cars being moved time slips uh i didn't see any time slip right cases but here's an interesting one two explorers who are in the uh, uh manitoba region david thompson and andrew davy said what they saw looked like several bizarre meteors crash into the ice. Thompson's diary details how two, how the two were surprised one night by a brilliant meteor of globular form that appeared larger than the moon. It struck the river ice with a sound like a mass of jelly and was dashed into innumerable luminous pieces and instantly expired. The next morning we went to see what the marks this meteor had made in the ice and could not discover a single particle that is from 1792 oh, wow. in the same area. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's funny because I, I, the language I thought was quite interesting. Uh, and I mean, when I say the same area, literally I should have known because it's funny. As soon as you said explorers, I thought, yeah, 1970. <laughs> what, what says that on your passport? <laughs> Occupation explorer. 
I know. Right, I know. okay. Oh, that's really interesting. Uh, I thought it would have more input. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no but, it worked. But that is the first, I mean, there isn't a lot of, I mean, this is when, when we talk about um, the the occupation by, you know, Western people. I mean, obviously we've got indigenous um, people with their knowledge of the area, but when it started being documented by people yeah. who have travelled there from Britain or France or wherever, and 1792 is a pretty early date for that, Yeah, this feels like, you know, it's one of those areas where people might call it a window area, which is what people call like Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which also had that increased paranormal activity i.e ghosty paranormal activity rather than just ufos right that's right that's right and so but this this ufo the charlie red star charlie red star by the way in case you're wondering nobody really knows where the name i was wondering that i get the red star bit where the charlie yeah it's because so so grant's best theory on it is that um it became like a friendly thing in the sky like a tourist attraction and so it's like calling it billy red star it's just like it sounded good and so people could say have you seen charlie i I wonder if there was some connection with the airport as well because that's the code for c isn't it oh yeah that's That's like charlie foxtrot or whatever yeah that's interesting yeah but it's um it was something that came and went across that spring and summer and as quickly as it arrived, it, it disappeared. Right. And people, you know, even a year later, were looking back at it fondly and wishing that it would come back because, you know, it undoubtedly brought more business to the town. It, mm. People did stay in hotels more. People did eat in restaurants more because they were out hunting for for Charlie. And it inspired, obviously, a lot of people, as we've speculated, um, filmmakers. Yeah. But it inspired this guy to write a book and perhaps other people to spill secrets but uh, i thought the bit about seeing actual entities and horses i'd never heard that i i it also um you said it just stopped after a few months yeah um again thinking back to mothman prophecies because that kind of stopped but it stopped with the big disaster there's no there's nothing like that no there's no no. lead up to it there's no no explanation of why it might have just stopped no no they um the the last known sighting was november the 17th and um it, it just gets less and less um uh common until that date so it ramps up March, April, May, June, the summertime is peak. And then as we start moving to November, it gets less and less. By November, interest had kind of waned. And that was the last known sighting. And it's pretty cold to be going out and about in Canada. It's really cold to be going out and about in Canada, yeah. Oh, that's really fascinating. um, Yeah, I... The other thing that was going through my mind was thoughts of a bit of mass hysteria building as well, mm-hmm. where we've covered mass hysteria events. You could see how that might get some traction, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Although um, there are a limited number of photographs of it. I have seen some of the photos. Yeah. I mean, they're quite blurry, aren't they? It looks like a kind of blurry comet, doesn't it? Is that, that the one you're talking about? Yeah, they are. And, and Grant himself talks about him trying to photograph it. and It's like a red... Ball it's comedy. a red ball and yeah. he does point out he, he said like it sounds like an excuse but 
the, with the camera equipment you've got at the time, which is suitable for home use, you know, is affordable. Yeah. Um, by the time you've pointed it and done your best to focus it, the thing has moved. Yeah. Even though it's moving at relatively low speeds, it's not easy to capture. Well, I, this is a slight aside, but I remember where I, when I got chased by a grizzly bear in Canada and um, <laughs> it was wandering off. And my wife gave me the camera, like an old, an old style, proper film camera. Oh right, yeah, um, yeah. And said, to, "Take a picture of it. Take a picture of it." And my hands were shaking so much, I couldn't even, I couldn't even focus on the thing. And then I, um, <laughs> I went to press, like, you know, press, uh, press the shutter down, and I turned the camera off. It was just like I was. Oh insane. yeah. You know when your adrenaline's pumping, you're in. So I, I kind of get it. You know what I mean. And, and shooting at night anyway is difficult, especially. It is, it is. And um, again, it's sort of a theme that comes up in um, uh, Close Encounters of people are so flabbergasted by what they're seeing, the thought of taking a photograph mm. is the last thing on their mind. Well, I don't know if you get this as well. I get this with taking photos. There's almost part of me wants to watch the event. <laughs> Rather than see yeah. it behind a camera lens or a or a, a viewfinder. Yeah, I'd be too worried about it I, leaving. I, I think I would just. I don't think it would be my thought. My first thought would be, "Wow, I want to experience this in all its glory." You know, if I'm not completely freaked out by it. Yeah. So with the um, the Las Vegas case, obviously the color of the craft and the shape and size of the occupants are very different. Mm. But um, I imagine there will be a number of people now that it's had such exposure who will be out looking and seeing if it comes again. Yeah. I would be. Yeah, you've got to think that they must be digging into it. Um, you know, it's that military thing as well. It's everything happening near Area 51 is just really bizarre to me. You know, I, I, I often think this of let's go with the fact that something happened at Roswell. Let's go with the fact that the military have got this alien tech and maybe, you know, aliens are visiting that area. If I was the government, would I wouldn't keep anything at Area 51, would you? I'd just want to move it somewhere completely different. Unless you couldn't, it's too big or too obvious and people are watching too much. But I'd probably put it in the dining room at Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> going to be safest there, let's be honest. Nobody's going to even notice it there. That's brilliant, yeah. 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 But it's... um. You're right. I mean, if if we talk about, like, as you said at the top, the similarity between what is in the news now and what Bob Lazar said. Bob Lazar said he had seen a number of UFOs, some of them damaged, some of them intact. Yeah. What we're getting now is there are some UFOs that are recovered. Yeah. And some which almost seem to have been left for us. Yeah. And... Um, what we're seeing... What do you mean by left for us? Well, I found an account that one of the recovered craft appeared to have literally just been left like a, you'd leave a car with the keys in. Like, oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Like almost they, like they want us to find it. Right. And it made me think, like, we often hark back to... Um, <laughs> That's brilliant. That, so the two in the back garden, they were probably having a conversation going... I, I I thought I parked it in this backyard, but I can't see it anywhere. Well, quite. But it made me think, we often hark back to um, Douglas Adams. Yeah. And if you remember, there is a bit in the Douglas Adams about the cricket wars mm. and the planet of cricket 
who believe they're all by themselves in the universe, a spacecraft is deliberately placed in their midst and they suddenly freak out and need to kill all other races because they've seen this spacecraft. Right. And you've got to wonder whether there's some manipulation going on here. Right. Anyway, that gets a bit too um, too far. Yeah. But I thought I would bring it back to authors because um, we should probably do a Holmes catch-up. Yes, I, it's been pretty quiet, actually, on the Holmes front, for me, at least. I um, So this is our TQM Tulpa project. We're trying to make Sherlock Holmes real. It's a, a, an ongoing project. We had quite a lot of activity last week. I've had nothing. I did have another mystery this week, but I thought it was so poor and pathetic I didn't actually enlist Sherlock in it. <laughs> and it was it was about my missing jar of Branston pickle. Oh, is it the small chunk or the regular? Uh, big, uh, no regular chunk. Oh, that's the most precious. Yeah, and I I'd run out of Branston. I'd made myself a cheese and ham sandwich. Need to be topped off with a bit of Branston. Knew I'd bought some. Couldn't find it anywhere. But I thought no, that's. I think I think Sherlock will get a bit peed off with me if I ask him to find my Branson pickle. That's probably too too. Uh, what's the word? Below his pay grade. Well, I think you're probably right. Um, I have cause to go um, into the area where the Sherlock Holmes pub is this week, so uh, I'm going to go into that pub and. So is that in Baker Street? The pub? No, it's no. It's um, it's a little bit down. It is almost. It's in the same street as where in the books um watson is supposed to live right it, i think it's just um a green king or something now right. but it's got um a lot of there's it, got a little tiny sherlock museum upstairs ah. so i'm going to pop in there and see if i can do do a bit more hardcore channeling because i haven't had a lot this week and i don't think no. any of our listeners no, have said they've we seen we anything haven't had much well we haven't had anything this week I mean, keep keep it coming. What might be good, Ben, if you are in the Sherlock Holmes pub with the little museum, maybe go up and tell them what we're doing and see if they've had any weird... Because if it's going to happen, you know, little weirdness, little strange things happening within the museum has kind of activity ramped up in the last few weeks. Could, could we be having an influence? Oh, That'd be that's a good idea. Oh, the, go- the ghost of the non-Sherlock Holmes has been yeah. moving stuff around because I know it's behind a glass screen. Oh, that would be good. Yeah, cool. All right, well, uh, keep them coming. Um, if you do have any little Sherlock encounters, um, I think when we said when we launched this whole thing, we were expecting to do an update kind of probably once a month or even every couple of months. So we've had quite an active start, been quieter this week, but um, let us know if you have more. Absolutely. Well... Um, let's see what the world of UFOs bring us, brings us next week. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm usually excited. I'm slightly trepidatious now, but let's see what happens. And uh, we won't give away details, but we're out on a field trip soon, aren't we? Oh, yes. Maybe with some friends. Yes. We'll, we'll let you know about that uh, a little bit closer to the time. All right. Well, um, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll catch you next week with more quantum mechanicsness. See you later. Take care. Bye. Bye. the quantum mechanics